Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So this morning, we are beginning a six-week study on the life of John the Baptist called Forerunner. I was speaking to someone this week about this new study and uh, what we're going to be studying, and, and that person who, uh, I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass them, but I married them 21 years ago. Uh, I was like, what's so important about John? What John ever do? So we're going we're gonna to look at what's so important about John, and what did John ever do in this six-week Bible study. Uh, throughout our nation's history, we've had men who have inspired us with with tales of their courage and their bravery in times of crisis. Men like Patrick Henry, who is famous for saying, give me liberty or give me death. People like Nathan Hale, who said, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. He didn't really say it that way, but that's what we kind of paraphrase him as saying. Or people like Abraham Lincoln, who in one of our country's darkest times, reminded the nation that uh, we that all men were, that our nation was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. In the history of the Bible, there are men and women we we call them heroes of the faith, and there are men and women that through the tales of their faith through the stories of their, their relationship and their interactions with God, through the words they say, they've inspired us as well. Uh, I think of Joshua, who is standing in front of the nation of Israel, right about to cross the Jordan River, and there's kind of a, a rebellion growing about people who, who don't want to go over because of, of the, there's happy in the wilderness, and Joshua stands up and says, you do what you want to do, but it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I think of people like Paul who, going through a very difficult time in his ministry, writes to the, the Philippians who are also going through a tough time and says, look, I know it's tough, I know that the times are hard, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Ruth, of course, we know the story of Ruth and she's lost her husband and her, her mother-in-law is going back home and Ruth, who, who had the opportunity to stay home and, and rebuild her life, she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And throughout Scripture, we have these stories of these incredible men and women who inspire us with their stories of faith and with the words that they give us throughout the Scripture. And before Jesus' earthly ministry, there was another hero of the faith named John. John, of course, gave us powerful words and incredible things. He said things like, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world as he saw Jesus coming to be baptized. It was John that said, I have seen and testified that this, speaking of Jesus, is the Son of God. It was John who said, After me comes someone whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. It was John that, speaking of Jesus, said, 
he must increase, but I must decrease. Men like John and these other heroes of the faith, they provide inspiration that we need in difficult times. Because we look at their stories, we look at their lives, we look at the, the things that they were going through and how they trusted God and how God delivered them and they saw incredible victory through their, just, their faith and their walk with God. They give us hope. They help us see how we can live our lives in faith with God. They show us how we can, even though we're going through hard times, even though we may be suffering persecution, we can treat people better. They help us see how we can live our lives with greater intentionality, not, not focusing on just who we are and what we can get, but what can God use us to do for other people. They show us how to live our lives with, with greater purpose, with greater usefulness to the Lord. And these men and women, they, they help us become better men and women. They help us become better Christians as we learn from their lives and we are encouraged by their stories. So for the next several weeks, we're going to look at the, we're going to be lifted up by the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was known as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. John was born six months before Jesus. John spent two years doing ministry before Jesus ever began his public ministry. John is the man that Jesus said is the greatest man born among women. But despite all that, he's one of the least taught about characters. And most coming prophesied throughout the Old Testament, of course, Jesus was the first. But John the Baptist, they prophesied about him just under how many times they prophesied about the coming of Jesus. He is spoken of in Scripture spanning a time period of 750 years. Now, before we get into this study, kind of today, we're just going to do a little bit of introduction, some study there. My eyes bother me. I don't know why. And so there, there are several things that I want to tell you about John before we get into this series about his life. First of all, number one, John is known as the forerunner of Jesus. John was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus to do his earthly ministry while he was on earth. When the angel of God came to, to John's father, Zechariah, he told him that his son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. It said in Luke 7, 117, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John is the one who goes before God. He is the one that is prophesied. He is the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for God to come to save mankind. Second thing we need to know about John is number two, John was related to Jesus. John's mother, Elizabeth, was related to Jesus' mother, Mary. 
When Gabriel announced to Mary that she would carry the Messiah, of course, she was, was in, obviously in shock and obviously kind of doubting, how can this happen? I've never been with a man. You know, that she's a virgin. How can she conceive? And so the angel tells her, where, well, your cousin Elizabeth has also conceived. And Elizabeth, she had trouble conceiving. Her and her husband didn't think they would have children. And so he's like, well, your, your cousin Elizabeth, she's conceived in her old age, and she's going to have a child. And here's what the Bible says in Luke one thirty six. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. So John the Baptist and Jesus were first cousins. They were related to each other. third thing we need to understand is John was the greatest man born of a woman. Now, of course, this is up for opinion because Jesus said it, so... That gives it a pretty ringing endorsement when the Son of God says, Hey, John is the greatest man ever to be born. Jesus had a lot of incredible things to say about John. In Matthew 1, 11, 14, he says, If you will receive it, talking about John, his teaching, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So he's telling people, hey, if you believe John and follow John and trust John, then you understand that he has the spirit of Elisha. Now, Elisha was considered the greatest Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament ends in Malachi 4.5 by God saying, Behold, I will send you Elisha the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Jesus said, hey, the one that ended the Old Testament where God said, I'm going to send you the Elisha in Isaiah where he prophesied about the spirit of Elisha coming. This is who God told about. He was telling people that John was sent by God. Jesus also said about John, But what went ye out to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I shall say unto you, among these that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he it is that is in least of the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Jesus gave John the title of the greatest man to ever live. And that's, that's a pretty impressive endorsement. That's a pretty incredible review when the Creator says John is the greatest man to ever live. Another thing we need to know about John, John was a rabbi. Now, during this time in Israel's history, rabbis were rare. Now, they're not rare anymore, but during this time, they were rare. In the 50 years before the birth of Christ... In the 50 years after the death of Christ, there were about half a dozen rabbis, recognized rabbis in the nation of Israel. And John was one of them. To become a rabbi, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament. All of it. Even the begattings. You know, the he begat he. You couldn't just skip those. You had to memorize the entire Old Testament, but more importantly, you had to receive your authority directly from God. Nowadays, to become a rabbi, you have to go through a seminary and become a Jewish scholar, and then you are ordained by the Jewish church, and you get your authority to be a rabbi from the ordination council. In Jesus' day, rabbis didn't get ordained. They got shminka. Say, what is that? 
In Shminka, they had to prove, they have, first of all, had to quote the entire Old Testament, word for word, couldn't make a mistake. And then after that, they would be taken apart separately and they would be surrounded by as many other rabbis they could get, at least two, but typically four to five rabbis would come and they would pray over them. They would lay hands on them and they would, first of all, they would wait to get word from God that God was giving this person the authority to be a rabbi. And then these rabbis would pray and they would impart authority from God to this man to be a rabbi. And so he would get his authority directly from God. So the fact that John was a rabbi was very important. It meant that God had given him the authority he needed to go and preach the gospel and teach. The Pharisees didn't have that kind of recognition. They were below rabbis on the religious ladder. So how do we know that John was a rabbi? Well, the Bible tells us in John 3.25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. So John had disciples. Pharisees didn't have disciples. Teachers of the law didn't have disciples. Only rabbis had disciples. But the verse continues. And they came unto John and said, Rabbi... He that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. So again, he had disciples, and his disciples call him rabbi. So being a rabbi was very rare and very important in these days. The Jews believed that the authority of the rabbi that was given by God had been passed down from generation to generation from Moses. So John was one of these rare and magnificent men of God in the tradition of Moses. He was a very important figure in the Jewish religion. The other thing we need to know about John is John came to prepare people to receive Jesus. In John 1.7, the Bible, the Apostle John said about John the Baptist, said the same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. See, John's ministry wasn't to get himself a following. It wasn't to, to make sure he had power and authority. John's ministry was to prepare people to receive Jesus as their Savior. His ministry was to prepare people to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He wasn't coming to get his own following. His entire ministry was meant to point people to Jesus. That's why he said... He must increase, but I must decrease. Another thing we need to know about John. <clears throat> John was Jesus' mentor, partner, and inspiration. Every great event or every great turn in Jesus' life was influenced by John. John's birth preceded Jesus' birth and encouraged Mary. John's baptism of Jesus marks the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. As soon as Jesus was baptized by John, he went to the wilderness and fasted for 40 days, beginning his earthly ministry. Jesus' ministry was a model of John's earthly ministry. So in the first years of his ministry, Jesus was doing the same things that John was doing. That's why his disciples in the verse we just looked at said, Hey, that guy that you baptized in the Jordan, he's doing the exact same thing that you were doing. 
and because Jesus' ministry modeled John's ministry at the beginning. John's imprisonment, it prompted Jesus to begin choosing his own disciples. In his first year of ministry, Jesus had built his reputation. When John went off the scene, Jesus began building a movement and calling disciples and training them. John's death prompted Jesus to retreat and perform the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which is fulfilling the prophecy of Moses. And lastly, John appears in 23 chapters of the Bible, spanning over a time of 750 years. So John's story and the very first message about John came 700 years before his birth. It was a message of comfort and hope and encouragement. And this message was delivered to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Now, to understand the message and understand what he's saying, you have to really understand what was going on in the people's lives during this time. Like I say all the time, context in studying scripture is vitally important. Because you can take a story, you can take a verse, you can take it out of context and make it say anything you want to say. So you have to understand the context of what is going on during the time period that the verses were given or that the words were spoken. And so in the time of Isaiah, when Isaiah is giving this prophecy, the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And they've been having wars, they've had invasions, they've been having a difficult time. And Isaiah is preaching or prophesying against the southern kingdom of Judah, Assyria. And he starts prophesying about the nation of Assyria. During this time, Assyria was a very strong and very aggressive nation. They were marching all across the area, conquering nations, conquering cities, destroying people, taking people slaves. They were just running through the area, just wiping out everyone they can, building their nation, destroying people and just conquering everyone on the way. And so it was terrifying to live during this time because you never knew when the Assyrians were going to come to your country. You never knew when you'd wake up and look out your front door and here come the Assyrians marching over the hilltop to destroy and conquer your area as well. So God sends his prophet Isaiah to be a spokesman on his behalf. And Isaiah comes and he speaks to the nation of Judah. And Isaiah warns them that Assyria is coming to conquer them, to destroy them as judgment for their sins. In Isaiah chapter 37, Hezekiah, after he, he's Judah's king, he hears this prophecy. He, he seeks Isaiah's counsel and he prays. He prays to God that God would forgive his people and spare them. And God hears his prayers, and God answers his prayer. God tells him, I will postpone judgment on the nation for now. He tells Hezekiah, because you asked, I'll postpone my judgment on Judah, and their punishment will not come at the hands of the Assyrians, but it will come at the hands of the Babylonians years in the future. So in Isaiah 39, it ends with the prophecy that Judah is going to be overrun one day by the nation of Babylon. So look in your Bibles in John chapter 39, Isaiah chapter 39, <coughs> starting at verse number 5. 
Isaiah chapter 39, verse number 5. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is thine house and all which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt begat, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Now look, put yourself not only in Hezekiah's uh, place here, but everyone in the nation of Judah. God has just said, I'm sending the Assyrians. They're going to come. They're going to conquer you. They're going to take you away captive. They're going to enslave you. They're probably going to kill your sons. They're going to take your daughters as slaves and housemaids and all kinds of terrible things. And it's coming. And you pray to God and God says, okay, I'll spare the judgment. You won't face that judgment, but your kids and grandkids will. You'll be fine, but your kids and grandkids are going to be taken away captive to the Babylonians. They're going to be eunuchs and they're going to be servants in the palace, everything that your, your fathers have, everything your fathers gave you and your grandfathers, everything you've inherited, everything you've worked for, everything you've striven for, everything you've built is going to be destroyed. And your kids are going to be slaves. And your sons are going to be killed. And your daughters are going to be violated. You won't face it, but your kids will. You're probably not very happy. You're probably not like, whew. Sucks to be you, Connor, but I'm free and clear. You're, you're I'm sure, glad. Well, I'm not going to be judged. But, man, my, my grandkids, my kids are going to have to suffer incredibly because of something I did. So the nation, they're, they're discouraged. They're, they're very upset. They're devastated. They mourn and they cry to God. And they pray to God. And as God always does, he heard them. So 39, chapter 39 ends pretty tragically with God saying, hey, I'm going to spare you, but your grandkids are going to suffer. Your kids are going to suffer. You'll be fine, but they're going to suffer. Then look at how it opens up in chapter 40, verse number 1. Comfort ye... Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the book right here, and it's kind of hard to understand some of these things, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. The book turns from doom and gloom of chapter 39. You're going to be fine, but your kids and grandkids are going to, they're going to be bad for them. It turns from doom and gloom to hope. God says, because of your, your mourning, because of your repentance, I'm going to send a hope. And Isaiah begins to introduce to Israel the coming of the forerunner. Look at verse number three. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places 
plain. So how do we know, of course, he's talking about one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the God, but how do we know that he's talking about John the Baptist? Well, we're not going to look at it for sake of time this morning, but in Matthew 3 and Mark 1 and Luke 3 and in John 1, all the Gospels quote this passage and say that John is the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. So here is God's message that he gives to a discouraged people today that, hey, I know it's discour- you're discouraged now. I know it looks bad. I know you think it's going to be terrible and just the, the worst thing has happened, but there's hope here. But there's a plan here. And this isn't just for the discouraged people of Isaiah's day or the discouraged people of John's day. This is a message for the discouraged people of every age. And here's the message. Look at verse number five. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Isaiah is saying, One day the forerunner will come, and he will declare that the glory of the Lord will, re- will, will come in such a way that all of humanity will see it. And here's the thing that Israel's hearing. God's glory will be seen through all of the world and everyone will see his glory through the pain that they're going to have to endure. It's a message of hope and encouragement for a people that are discouraged and sad. Look at verse number six. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all the godliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of our Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord our God shall stand forever. So here's what the prophet is saying. He goes, here's, here's a little perspective to help you understand what God's really saying. Because I understand, put your, again, put yourself in their place. God's saying, hey, you're not going to suffer, but your grandkids are. But I've got hope for you. There's, they're still going to suffer but good is going to come out of it. So here's what God's saying. He's going to put a little perspective on your life. You're not very big, and you don't last very long. You're like grass. Grass grows up, you lop it down, it's dead. Grass is here today and gone tomorrow. I hope grass doesn't grow again for the rest of the year because I'm tired of mowing it for this year. But he's saying grass doesn't last very long. Grass isn't, very, grass isn't very important. He goes, you're not very big, and you're not very important. You don't last very long, but God is huge. And God's plans and God's promises and God's words last forever. Then look at verse number 9. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up. Be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. So the first nine verses that we've just read, they're about the coming of John. They're about the forerunner and his prophecy and what he's going to come and where he's going to be. The next verses, they tell us what John is going to say. And here's what we're going to focus on this morning. So here's what John's going to say. Verse number 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his arm shall rule over him. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them into his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Now, that is good news. This is how God 
prepares the world for his son. This is the message of the forerunner. So this morning, if you're discouraged, if you're afraid, if you're worried, if you're struggling this morning, God has a message for you through the message of the forerunner. And here's what God has for you this morning. Number one, when we are discouraged, God is not silent. When we are discouraged, God is not silent. Look at verse number two in chapter number uh, chapter 40 again. He says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Speak ye Comfortably. Now, the word comfortably there means tenderly. When we are discouraged, when we are afraid, when we are not sure what's going to happen, God always speaks to us, but he speaks tenderly. He speaks in a way that comforts us. He speaks in a way that encourages us. Isaiah describes the tenderness of God in verse number 40, chapter 42, verses 2 through 3. This is how Isaiah describes the tenderness of God. He goes, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment and truth. How softly do you have to walk to not break a reed, which is basically straw? He's saying he's going to be so tender, he's not even going to break straw. I mean, none of us can walk that softly, or we're not breaking straw. He goes, he's not going to raise his voice. You know, look, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get frustrated with folks. Sometimes I get frustrated with, with my spouse. I love her. I'm glad I get, but sometimes I got frustrated. Now things have gotten better, but there are times where she would just constantly worry about these things, and I get so frustrated. I'll be honest with you, I'm a man, I'm a sinner, I'm just as like y'all. I'd get upset, and I'd raise my voice. I can't, you know, I'd, and I just, I wouldn't, you know, scream and cuss at everybody. I'd just raise my voice. Now she says I always raise my voice. She said I'm always talking. She's like, stop yelling. I'm like I'm not yelling. Here's yelling, and I show her what yelling is. I say, okay, well, then can you talk like a normal human being and not you? Because I just have a loud voice anyway. But, you know, when, when people, you know, when we're trying to help people or people just frustrate us, we yell. We, sometimes we get upset and we raise our voice. We kind of fuss at them. God says, when you, when you come to me over and over and over again about the same thing because you're worried. And to me, you know, worry when it comes to God is sin. Because worry is lack of faith. And God said, I've given you every promise you could ever need. I promise to take care of you. I promise to protect you. I promise to feed you. I promise you all these things. And now you're coming to me about these worries again, which means you're not trusting me again, which is lack of faith again. But God's saying, I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to raise my voice at you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to comfort you tenderly. I'm going to speak to you in a way that brings comfort. He said, I'm going to speak to you in such a way that I won't even blow out a, a candle. You've got to talk real soft to not blow out a candle. You know when Elijah was discouraged? He's running from Jezebel. He's hiding in the wilderness, and God takes him up to a, up to half a mountain, and Isaiah, he sees an earthquake. He sees a tornado. He sees a fire. And God says, you, you thought I was in the earthquake, but I wasn't. 
You thought I was in the fire, but I wasn't. You thought I was in the tornado, but I wasn't. He said, I was in the still, small voice. When we're discouraged, God will speak to us in such a way that will encourage us. When Israel was discouraged because the Babylonians were coming, God sent them a prophet to speak tenderly to them. When Israel, when they were discouraged because they were oppressed by the Romans, God sent John the Baptist to speak tenderly to them. He came from God to tell them what God was about to do. Here's the forerunner's message to us this morning. When you are discouraged, God is not silent. God's always speaking to us. Now, the issue is, sometimes he's speaking tenderly, he's speaking softly, he's trying to encourage us, and we let all the distractions of the world drown out his voice. We let the, the pain, we let the discouragement, we let just life drown out his voice. And we say, God, why aren't you talking to me? And the forerunner saying, hey, when you're discouraged, God is always speaking. Here's the second thing the forerunner tells us. Number two, God always has a plan for his people. Look at verse number three. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be, uh, shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, during this time when a king would come to court, they would roll out what was known the royal carpet from it. It's how we get the tradition of walking on the red carpet. It wasn't always red, but they would roll out the royal carpet, and the, the king always walked on the royal carpet. But the forerunner, he's not announcing the coming of a king. He's announcing the coming of the king of kings. And he says when he comes... We're not rolling out the carpet for him. We're going to pave a highway in the desert for him instead. He goes, we're going to find the, high, the low spots and fill them in. We're going to find the high spots and knock them down. He, we are going to make the path of God smooth to come. So here's what that tells us. When we're discouraged, first of all, God's always talking. But when we are discouraged, God says that every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be leveled. Here's what God's saying. You may be in turmoil right now. You may be discouraged right now. But God has a plan and he will make everything right one day. We just have to trust God's timing. God's got a plan for what you're going through right now. But look, we can't always see the plan. And often, if we did see the plan, we probably wouldn't agree with it. But God says, your pain's not for nothing. Your, your discouragement's not for nothing. Your worry's not for nothing. There is a plan that God has for every single one of us. So God has a plan for his people, even when we're facing turmoil. Here's a third thing the forerunner tells us. Number three, God has words of hope for his people. Look at verse number five. <clears throat> and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. When we're discouraged, when we're facing hard times, God says that his glory will be revealed through them. See, these are words of hope because it tells us we're not suffering needlessly. 
We're not struggling needlessly. We're not going through a trial just because God didn't have anything better to do that day. You know, I think of, of Job. And I've always, I've always struggled with Job. Not Job. I mean, I love Job. I just, you know, here's this guy who he's, he loves God. He's serving God. He's, he, he loves God so much he's praying for his kids' sins. And he loves God. He's serving God. He's not doing anything wrong. He's just trying to live a holy, righteous life. And God says, hey, Satan, why don't you go try some stuff with Job? And Job, he loses all of his health, loses his family, loses his money, loses everything. But it wasn't for nothing. Now, look, we look at it now and think, oh, well, it's just a test. It was just a test and God knew it was going to happen. But do you know how many millions of people have gotten encouragement from the story of Job? Because, yeah, he, he suffered, but God restored everything to him. He got his money back. He got his possessions back. He even got more kids back. But through his story, through his tragedy, through his suffering, we find hope and encouragement. And God says, your suffering's not for, not for nothing. There is hope that God's glory will be revealed through our pain. Fourth thing that the forerunner tells us is God's plans are always complete. Look at verse number 9. O Zion, that bring us good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountains of Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them into his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. See, God's plans are so complete that not only did he plan for Jesus, but he planned for Jesus' forerunner. So here's what Isaiah is saying. And here's what Isaiah says John will say about Jesus. He says, you may be scared. You may feel small. Your circumstances may seem overwhelming. But the Messiah is coming. And he has strength for you that you can't imagine. When trials come your way, you can stand. When pain comes your way, you can have hope. You can believe that this is not the end because Emmanuel, God with us, will be with you. To a discouraged people, to a worried people, God gave this message 100 years before the conquest came. But while God was delivering this message to the nation of Judah 700 years before John... He was also giving it to people in John's day because in John's day, Israel was discouraged because they had been conquered by the Romans. They were living in oppression and they were discouraged and God was giving them hope too. But it doesn't stop there. God is also giving this message of hope to us today because we feel discouraged. We feel conquered by the trials of life, by sickness, financial problems, our relationship problems. We're, we're conquered by addiction. We're conquered by feelings of loneliness and discouragement. And God says, I planned to deliver you just as much. If you are part of God's flock, you have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be afraid because God says he protects his sheep. Even now, in the middle of your trial, 
in the middle of your discouragement, God is loving you and protecting you. I love how verse 11 ends. Look at it again. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. God says through Isaiah, through John, I'm leading you. When you're too weak to walk, I'll carry you. When you're too scared to fight, I'll protect you. You are in my arms. That's hope for us this morning, no matter what we're facing. Now, John, he wasn't the Messiah. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, and he was used by God to encourage us. John was a man. John was a human. He was a person just like us. And God used his voice to grow our faith. Dow tells us this morning that maybe you're not going through a difficult time. Maybe you're not discouraged right now. Maybe you're not in a valley. Now look, here's the thing. In the Christian life, you're either coming out of a valley, going into a valley, or about to go into one. I mean, so we're always, it's always, so maybe, maybe you're just coming out of a valley. Or maybe you're about to go in when you're not there yet. But you're not discouraged right now. What this tells us is God can use your voice to encourage others. God can use your voice to bring hope to those that think it's hopeless. But if you are discouraged today, John says God will speak tenderly to you. But he'll also give you people to encourage you and to strengthen you. God uses people to encourage discouraged people. May God use us to encourage those in need as he encourages us this morning.